0: Hi, this is Richard Watts, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Smart Arts, a weekly radio show bringing news, reviews, and interviews about the arts. Broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Thursday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and if you have any questions or feedback, feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website. I'm joined on the line by Anne Marie Peard, who every fortnight catches up with us to chat about theatre and performance and what we've seen on Melbourne stages. Anne-Marie, lucky for you, you haven't been going to noisy gigs and shouting over bands, so hopefully you're less croaky than me and I'll let you do a lot of the talking.
1: (laughs) Good morning, Richard. Yeah, I'm far less croaky. I am not match fit and ready to go and see a gig yet. But
0: you have seen... Well, thank you, but you are (laughs) match fit enough to go and see quite a bit of theatre.
1: I have seen quite a bit of theatre this week. While you were jet-setting off in Adelaide and seeing amazing shows, I held the fort back here and have seen so many independent Melbourne shows this fortnight that I know I can't fit them all in today.
0: Well, let's keep it lean and mean, but I will start by saying that of the... Uh, the the variety of shows that I saw at the Adelaide Festival. One of them is going to be produced in a separate production later this year by mm-hmm. the Melbourne Theatre Company. Uh, it's a one-woman show called Girls and Boys, written by the playwright Dennis Kelly, uh, a British playwright who also uh, kind of helped write Matilda the Musical. He, I think he did the book for that. Uh, and it's an incredibly searing and kind of powerful piece of theatre that I'm really looking forward, oddly, to seeing again. It it was, um, without talking too much about it, I don't want to go into too much detail, but as I said, it's a one-woman show talking about her life, her children, her relationship. It starts off light and funny and playfully crass and ends up in a place where... Uh, I saw people walking out of the theatre weeping. So wow. So the, uh, kind of the Adelaide production was directed by Mitchell Butel, the Artistic Director of State Theatre Company of South Australia, and it was directed subtly and powerfully. Uh, the Melbourne production uh, that MTC are putting on later this year will be directed by Kate Champion, and again, as I said, it's a really gripping piece of theatre. The Melbourne production will star Nikki Shields, who was in Home, Ooh. Home, I'm Darling. Uh, yeah. It's a lot of work for one actor to do, but I'm really looking forward to seeing what the MTC do with this production, having seen the State Theatre Company of South Australia production. But from main stage and festivals, over to you. What have you seen in terms of indie work?
1: Oh, look. look start with the show I said at the end of last fortnight I was really looking forward to see which was The Chronic Cabaret and I know you interviewed Rosie Roulette straight after me to talk about it. Now I was really excited to see this show and rightly so. Something amazing about it is it's one of those works that started off in a very small room and had a very small audience and by week two it had to move to a bigger venue. They sold all their tickets. They were adding seats. It knew its voice, it knew its message, and it knew exactly what it was. And it felt like a show we've just been wanting and waiting to see. It was one of those, you know, you're talking about people leaving theatres feeling breathed in tears. This was something... I went in feeling grumpy, which is not unusual at all, but I left this show feeling so much better than when I went in. I felt better about myself. I felt better about our community, I felt a bit better about the world. It's a cabaret um, hosted by Rosie Roulette who interviews every single one of her performers. Um, so they perform, that burlesque and cabaret artists and all of them have disabilities or chronic illnesses. And each was able to talk about their condition and how and sort of if it's reflected in their art. And look, so often with burlesque and strip and you know, even with life, it can be disempowering when we're faced with unachievable bodies and a very, very limited view of beauty and desirability. So this is both comforting and confronting to see artists and particularly to see women who refuse to even consider this limiting view. It's just not okay. It's not even defiance. It's performers who know exactly who they are and dare anyone to judge or compare them. Um, if I had time, I would have seen it again. And I think this is going to become a regular cabaret. So keep your eye out. And the chronic cabaret isn't to be missed next time.
0: Fantastic. I wish yes. I could have seen it, but uh, the stars did not align in this instance. Uh, just quickly, one of the other shows I saw in Adelaide, I'm really mm-hmm. hoping will tour nationally. Uh, it was a new oratorio, so not, oh. not a full opera, but a, yeah. a music work that is often a form used for religious ritual and mourning. And this was a piece called Watershed, The Death of Dr Duncan. Oh. Uh, it's about a very famous drowning in the Torrens River in Adelaide, in which a, a gay man at a beat on the riverside was bashed by the cops and thrown into the mm-hmm. river and drowned as a result. No one has ever been charged. With his murder, uh, and the work uh, features a, an oratorio sorry, a, a libretto by Alana Valentine and Christos Cholkis and to, uh, is composed by Joseph Twist. Deeply, deeply moving. I was weeping for much of it. There were moments of, uh, elsewhere where was, I was full of fury and rage, which I did oh. not expect, when they brought up slides showing photos of the police who were accused of his murder but were never charged uh, and uh, and never found guilty. Um, I, I'd, I'd never seen their faces before, and to see men who no. treated queer bashing as sport made me yeah. so angry. But mm-hmm. this will... It's a very Adelaide story, but I think it should be and needs to be seen in other cities because queer bashing in the 70s and 80s and 90s was not restricted to Adelaide. Uh, I could see it working beautifully, for example, at Melbourne Recital Centre with a, um, a, small, kind of a small body of musicians and a chorus, uh, a group of choral performers, beautiful, stunning, powerful work.
1: Yeah, I really hope we get to see this work in the rest of Australia. Everyone I know who saw it in Adelaide had a reaction pretty much like yours and it needs to be seen. So I'm going to jump back to another small show, just my last quick little Fringe Rebound show and I want to talk about this one because it's probably going to have a short, at least a one-off performance in the Melbourne Comedy Festival but unfortunately they don't quite have the date. But Mad Woman um, that's written and performed by Rosalind Cox. It's uh, the young Irish woman escaping the end of a relationship by moving to Melbourne where she tries to shag the pain away. It's about what we do, you know, to not feel unbearable pain and guilt and how we often find the ability to let go and move on in really, really unexpected places. She did a recorded version for The Fringe last year that I didn't see, but I believe she filmed all of the characters separately because she plays multiple characters in it. So in the live version, it's just her. And I think this makes it so much more intimate and feels like we're really sharing what's going on in the character's heart rather than just watching her story. She was playing different characters. And this really made the audience her confidence. She was talking to us, so we were her friend. We're invested in it. Beautifully performed, lovely story. But what I really loved about it is seeing Melbourne and Australians from an outside point of view, to see someone come into our city where they don't quite know the vibe of it. So that's seeing it in ways we just don't. And to hear someone do those accents and do those characters who we think, oh, that's a stereotype, until you go, no, 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 I know every single one of those people. And, yeah, we sound like that. So it finished at Fringe, but it possibly is going to be seen at Comedy Festival. So I really recommend seeing that. And that that was called it's Mad Woman by Mad. Rosaline Cox.
0: I will keep an eye out for that one. Yeah. Should it return? Now, we well, it's going to return. Yeah. Excellent. Now I know you've also been over to uh, My Heart of Hearts in Carlton La Mama.
1: I have. I was there last night, um, and I was at the opening night of Fire in the Head. That was at the courthouse, it's written by a writer called R. John and directed by Rodney Hall. Now, this is the story of Kate Kelly, who was Ned Kelly's younger sister. The whole work takes place in the imagination and the head of Kate Kelly on the day she's found drowned in a river. So it weaves through time and space and We see the younger sister's view of, you know, our legend, the, you know, myth, everything that is Ned Kelly, but we're seeing it through the point of view of a young woman who was observing it but still part of it. Um, There's a cast who are all playing the ghosts and the memories of people in her life. So, you know, Ned, her father, her mother and other people in there who are kind of observers but, of course, they can't help. And it gets into the repercussions for her, a young woman being a Kelly, of what she had to do to escape and change her name and she ended up in a very, very violent and unhappy relationship. Kate is played by Emily Patton Brown. Um, She's done a lot of musical theatre. So it's just so lovely to see her on a small stage and being able to bring so much heart and understanding to a character who, you know, could possibly be very difficult to love and understand because of the choices she absolutely had to make. But it's just, yeah, what I really enjoyed about this was seeing that story we know so well about Ned Kelly seen from a completely different perspective and to learn about someone I really didn't know much about. I really enjoyed this work. You know, it's a little bit long, but that's okay. And it's on until the 27th of March at the courthouse.
0: Now, one of the reasons I'm intrigued to see this, and I hope to catch it on the weekend or next week, uh, from my understanding of the, the whole Kelly gang legend, I won't call it a myth because it is fact, but certainly embellished yeah, no. over time, one of the claims that one of the, one of the reasons why the gang became outlaws was because they shot a policeman who sexually assaulted their sister. Is that yes, explored? That's in
1: that's a big that? part of it. Yeah.
0: So I, I figured that would be explored in the play. But, again, as you say, to hear that from Kate's, uh, through Kate's own voice, Kate's own story, yes. uh, will be uh, an intriguing production. Mm-hmm. That's on at uh, the LaMama Courthouse, uh, as Anne-Marie mm-hmm. said, until the 27th of March. Mm-hmm. It's called Fire in the Head.
1: Now, could I quickly talk about another one I saw on Tuesday night? Please do. We- was Yentl. Now I should say I went to a preview of this, so it was a preview. Still absolutely wonderful. Now this is being presented by Melbourne's Cadman Yiddish Theatre, who have been around since 1911. 1911. We forget, you know, the great history we have of theatre here in Melbourne sometimes, and it's a production of Yentl. Now. Our touchstone of Yentl is, of course, the Barbara Streisand film of the early 80s. And please send me hate mail. I have never seen the film. I watched the trailer last night. I think I understand exactly what that film is. This production is nothing like it. Barbara Streisand owns the right to the English version of that short story so no one can play with it. So... What the company have done is adapted it from the original short story written in Yiddish. And this production is told in Yiddish and English with fur titles. It's it, nothing like Yentl, the film. So no songs, no totally over-the-top positivity and big hair. It's complex and fascinating. Um, the story is, of course, about a young Orthodox Jewish woman in Poland in the early early 20th century, And she wants to study. Um, Women can't study, so she disguises herself as a man and lives as a man. Of course, teenage hormones, the pressure to marry—it gets complex, as it should. But it's amazing to look at some of the very same issues we explore so much in our contemporary stories—you know, around gender and gender roles and all those assumptions about what we have to do based on our gender—and if. Indeed, it fits with us as a human. So we're looking at them through the lens of a very orthodox and a very conservative community. And what sort of happens is you realise, look, it's the same issue. People are just people, but we're just able to see them from a different point of view. And, again, another show I wasn't sure what I was gonna think about it and really enjoyed it. Um Evelyn Crape's in it. She's also, you know, been in the company for years and great legend of Melbourne. She plays the narrator who's also sort of the devil angel on Yentel's show older and plays The Conscience and, you know, is able to link audience to story. Gary Abrahams um directed it and he's also the co writer And Jana Zvednik plays Yentl and Beautiful, beautiful performance. Um, She's come through BCA, I think, at one stage. But, again, don't go thinking it's going to be a musical at all. Go because it's an absolutely fascinating translation. Of a story.
0: I love the fact that, uh, as you say, because Barbara Streisand owns the English rights, it's a, this is a chance to go back to the original story, explore yeah. its Yiddish origins, present Yiddish on stage with surtitles, titles, oh. uh, and uh, that's on. Yentl uh, is on at Art Centre Melbourne until the 26th of March in the Fairfax Studio, the most intimate theatre at Art Centre Melbourne. And you can find out more by going to au. You can.
1: Uh, one more I saw on the weekend um, that, again, it was a work in progress and it's going to come back. So this is something that's not ready to review yet, but my goodness, when it's got its next production, I can't wait to get into the writing and really talk about this show. It was called The Destroyer, and it's from, you know, the exquisite minds, hearts and souls of Jackie Smith and Maurice. Fingercane. So cane and Smith show. These were three monologues written by Jackie Smith during lockdown. I'm just going to jump back to Finna and Smith during lockdown. As a company, like everyone else, they had to cancel pretty much everything all over the world. Awful, awful stuff. But what they did to keep their community and their friends and their artists together was doing lots of Zoom shows. But because it's a Finna Kane and Smith show, everything's an event. Everything is art. So when you saw, logged into your Zoom show, during the day you'd had delivered to your door a party pack. I cannot tell you how happy it made me to get a brown paper bag that had snacks and homemade marmalade. It had a gin cocktail. It had, you know, some presents all made by local artists. So you were almost forced to make your lockdown space a party space before you joined in in the Zoom, and it created community and atmosphere. And I love that. But they're back on stage. This was a one yeah, one weekend thing that, you know, we had gin cocktails and we danced the Dutch 90s industrial rock. So we're back to theatre again. Uh, but the monologue, very quickly, one's about a god who was played by Maude Davy, one's about a saint who was played by Rachel Reed. who... Also performed as Jazida when she does burlesque. She's incredible. And one's about one of the most human, forgotten, lonely people um, who's played by Carolyn Lee. You know, all the women all subvert any ideas of what a god, a saint or a lonely human should be. And, yeah, I want to wait till we see another production of this to really, really talk about the incredible writing of Jackie Smith. But... If you haven't seen a Finucane and Smith show, my goodness, it's it's time to do one. So they have dance hall on at Chapel of Chapel from the thirty first of March to the fourth of April. I'm sure there'll be cocktails, there'll be there'll be everything. It'll be an event and you'll
0: love it. One to put into the diary. And, Marie, I'm going to wrap us up. I will just quickly mention one of the other shows I saw in Adelaide, which was on for one night only last year at Rising, Melbourne's Winter Festival. Uh, It was The Nightline, co-created by Rosalind Odes with sound artist Bob Scott. It was... Oh yellow superb. Now the Rising program is announced tonight. I don't know if the Nightline will get uh, a return season for Rising but when and if and when the Nightline comes back to Melbourne. Mm. It's an audio experience where you sit with 30, 40 other people in a dimly lit space in silence listening to old-fashioned telephones of carefully edited recordings of people who can't sleep for whatever reason. They're insomniac, they're working, they're, kind of, uh, they're up early. Uh, they, they call a number, the Nightline, between midnight and 6am and record a message. It might be their fears, their frustrations, yeah. kind of their stories, all edited together into a really potent, beautiful, powerful piece of audio theatre. Uh, so hopefully the Nightline will come back to Melbourne soon. I I really enjoyed it, Uh, so I just want to recommend it and tell people to keep an eye out for it and those of you who caught it for its one night only at Rising last year before the festival went into lockdown I'm very envious you had a different experience to me but uh, hopefully still a beautiful one and the reason I also wanted to mention that is yes I saw it at Adelaide Festival but the Rising program for 2022 is launched tonight so third time lucky hopefully the festival goes ahead without any drama yay oh
1: let's hope yeah, no, we're in a much better place now now, what are you looking forward to this week?
0: Um, I have barely had a chance to think, but I am thinking about heading up to Bendigo on the weekend uh, on oh, Sunday cute. to go and check out Homophonic at the Bendigo, kind of uh, uh, the, the Queer Bendigo Festival that's on up there. Yeah. And on Saturday, I'm thinking of heading down to Geelong to see the play Black Cockatoo which are directed by Wesley Enoch and is reclaiming the story of the very first Australian cricket team to tour to England in the 1800s, an entirely Aboriginal team who faced oh my racism wanted... as well as the colonial yeah. attitude.
1: Unfortunately, I'm seeing three shows on Saturday. Otherwise, I'd say, I'll oh, grab the car and we'll go. Um, that sounds amazing. Now, I just have to say, I'm so looking forward to Hamilton next week.
0: Excellent segue. I'm interviewing Jason Arrow, uh, who, I know. who plays Hamilton I at 10:30 a.m.
1: And then we've got even before our next fortnight comedy festival kicks off. And I think I'm looking at my diary. I've got at least two comedy festival shows before it even kicks off. So so much to talk about.
0: We will catch you in a fortnight's time when I will be less croaky and we can talk about comedy and more. Anne Marie Peart, awesome. thanks so much for joining thanks, us. Richard. You're listening to a Triple R podcast. Discover more podcasts from Triple R exploring science, technology, food, books, social issues, politics, and more. To listen, hit up the Triple R website or your favourite podcast platform. Now, There's been an interesting trend in recent years with opera companies embracing musical theatre. Now, some companies, I won't mention them by name, tend to stick with, I don't know, the the big commercial successful musicals. But Victorian opera are staging an anti-capitalist musical comedy by Kurt Weil, Bertolt Brecht and Elizabeth Hauptmann called Happy End. It's performing soon at Arts Centre Melbourne. One of the performers in the show joins us on the line now. Ali McGregor, welcome to Triple R. Oh, thank you so
1: much for having me on, Richard.
0: Now, the last time I saw you was... Uh, I think we had a long conversation in a green room and then you were on stage, but one of the things that struck me about this show and, and your the way you kind of it it feels like the right fit for you you're an opera performer and artist who seems drawn not to the obscure but certainly to the left of center and the creative rather than the safe and the commercial what is it about this particular work happy end that made you think this feels like the right project for me
1: I was very quick to say yes to this project. I've always loved the music of Kurt Weill ever since I was at college. Um, I love his uh, German music that he wrote with uh, Brecht and Elizabeth Hauptmann And I also really love his Broadway music. And I do like that... Uh, I, do like, I do like the way they've always tackled quite... Um, well, sort of controversial at the time, certainly, and, and possibly even now topics they haven't gone for the safe option it's never just a simple love story there's always something deeper behind it which I think I really do love it's multifaceted, if you will um, and there's a reason why Kurt songs make very good cabaret songs and why you know a lot of these songs that were originally written for musicals or operas um, have become staples on the cabaret repertoire because every song uh, has a sort of narrative within it. So it's like almost a, a whole show in, in a song. There's always a real life to it. And it's never just, you know, simple four chords and, and sort of manipulating a, a listener to, to various sort of touch points for motion. There's always, um, you can always find different colours and textures within it. So every performer who tackles it has their own take on it. Um, so I just think there's so much scope there. And I love that Victorian Opera were putting it on.
0: Now, as I mentioned, it's, it's being billed as an anti-capitalist musical comedy, which uh, in the, 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 I guess, the current political climate with uh, some people saying, oh, capitalism is in its dying days, we're seeing it's, the, the death struggles as it lashes out and so forth, it feels very, very timely. But tell us a little bit more about... Happy End itself. It's set in Chicago, where in 1911. It's a features a, a love story between a gangster uh, and a Salvation Army lieutenant, which is a fascinating <laughs> pairing, to be, pairing to begin with. But the, tell us a bit about the politics as well as about the story.
1: Yeah, look, many people um, when they hear about this wonder if it is um, you know a remake of Guys and Dolls or vice versa. Um, they're not linked, but they um, do have similarities. This actually predates Guys and Dolls. Um, but the only real similarities, I guess, are that they are both set in Chicago and there's, you know, a gang um, and there is a Salvation Army, a group of Salvation Army uh, people in it um, and a sort of love story within it. But But this one being you know of a weimar era tackles as you say capitalism kind of head on if you will um in fact there's a great story um bertolt Brecht's wife was in the original production and it didn't actually uh have too many performances the first performance because um his wife uh, the actress helen weigel apparently read directly from a communist pamphlet on stage and uh it quickly got axed. Um, <laughs> so it's been controversial from its very from its very beginning. Um, you know, I I, I think uh, it is very timely. You know, as you say, we, you know, we are sort of looking at looking at kind of closely at capitalism now and how it is sort of intrinsically linked to every facet of our life. As we, you know, um, you know, I'm talking to you on an iPhone, so I'm I'm deeply entrenched in it myself. You know, but. Um, you know, at the end of this piece, the gang and the Salvation Army realise that they're both fighting the same enemy. Um, that you know, the, the the big banks who are controlling all the money we're sort of fighting and scrambling down here in the in the um, alleyways of um, of the, the cities. But the people who are controlling those cities and controlling the flow of money um, are are up there, and we're both kind of um, scrambling for their for their leftovers. And and so there is a sense at the end that. You know, maybe all this infighting, and, you know, there's a lot of it, as you know, now, maybe we need to take a step back and look who the real enemy is. Maybe we're not, we're fighting each other, and maybe that's not the real, the real um, you know, what we should be doing. So I love that this piece kind of puts a mirror up to that, and, it you know, it's still a really relevant story, as it was, um, you know, just in the middle of the two wars when this was written.
0: Am I right in thinking that the, the quote, robbing a bank is no crime compared to owning one, comes from Happy End?
1: Yeah, it's my line as well. It's the very, it's the very final little speech, which I like to call my TED Talk, um, which, yeah, that's exactly it. We've got to um, forget our little quarrels and stand together. Um, blasting open a safe is nothing. We've got to blast open the big gang that keeps the safe locked. It's uh, yeah, and I, 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 the world belongs to us all. It's a really fantastic speech, um, and I think ties up that whole message really well.
0: I suspect, given the traditional opening night audience uh, for any opera company, mm. I wonder might there be some uncomfortable squirming in the seats as, uh, uh, as people from the top end of town are confronted with the the politics of this production.
1: Look, I think this is why we go to live theater I think you know if, if I, I'm none of our audiences and I think Victorian are really open-minded to that you know I, I, having done Lorelei quite recently with you know, Casey Bonetto and Gillian Cosgrove wrote this fantastic libretto that had a lot of those moments, but, you know, there was a, a one moment in Lorelei where we were actually talking to the audience saying, look all you white bourgeoisie drinking your wine, and you know, it, 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 and there's sort of a slight uncomfortable laugh, but I like that it actually gets people discussing, and people really did talk to us about it afterwards, and um, I think this piece is the same. You know, we we these big kind of glorious anthems to the Rockefellers and the JP Morgans, and... Um, all this big business. And I'm sitting here thinking, you know, I'm sure there are subscribers who work for these banks, you know, that we're talking about. But I think the sort of people who work for those banks but then go to see theatre are the sort of people who actually do want to think deeply about, you know, our society and, and aren't just sort of mindlessly, um, you know, cashing checks. I think, I think this is why we have heart to, to, to make us think and, and to make, I want that conversation to be happening in the bar afterwards.
0: I'm chatting with Ali McGregor, who's performing in Victorian opera's Happy End, which is uh, written by Kurt Weil, Bertolt Brecht and Elizabeth Hauptmann. Now, we often hear Brecht and Weill talked about, but Elizabeth Hauptmann seems to have been overlooked somewhat.
1: She really has. It's really fascinating. And, look, I've always, you know, um, when I was at college and it was always Brecht and you Brechtian, and never, I never even had heard of Elizabeth Houtman. Um, and as so often happens with uh, women, you know, history, as you know, quite often get overlooked. Bertolt Brecht uh, called her his secretary. He said that she was his assistant. Um, he is known to have had various assistants and help writing his pieces. Over the years, he saw himself as the kind of impresario, if you like, if you don't work. Um, but she, it is now has come to be known that she wrote the majority of the Opera. She was actually an uncredited writer on Mahagoni and she wrote the bulk of the text for this, if not all of it. Um, it's a quite brazenly feminist piece. So I play the gang boss, the flyer, the lady in grey. And, the, the major of the Salvation Army into female as well. And so you've got the two heads of each of these kind of gangs are uh, female. Um, and Hallelujah Lil, played by Lucy Maunder in this production, is also a really strong woman who stands up to um, danger and, you know, has her beliefs and stands really firm on them. And so it is quite a brazenly feminist piece in a sense. And I loved getting to know about Elizabeth Houtman. Um, she actually translated. Um, the Beggar's Opera to be uh, in, into German for sutney Opera um, and had, you know, a big lot to do with, with the the tone of the work that um, Kurt Weill and Brecht were collaborating on. So um, yeah, really really fascinating to learn about her and I'm, you know, making a point of trying to shine a light on her work um, as much as I can.
0: Now I've been reading some reviews of past productions of Happy End and one describes it as musical comedy with a wicked leer and some of Kurt Mm Vile's most sinuously seductive songs. The score is a beauty with its hymns, aggressive declarations and silken ballads and elsewhere it's that, that somebody has talked about the staccato jazz tempo passages alternating with languorous melodies. What can people expect musically when they come to see the work? Do those quotes do the production justice in terms
1: of, of what people will hear? I do think they do it justice. I think the beauty of, of Viles' compositions, and it goes throughout all his work, If he has one foot in a classical company, he has one foot in a jazz, and he was he really loved jazz, which at that time was quite new to european audiences um and he he mixes these two to create you know what we really think of now is that sort of weimar cabaret sound lots of brass um and there's definitely a hymnal quality i mean obviously with the salvation army songs there are things in there um but it's it's uh, he he was fascinated with that kind of music coming out of america um but as i said has this classical ear listening to it and uh, his most famous songs in this piece, Surabaya Johnny, which is probably, I would you know hasten to say, maybe his most famous song, um, and the Bilbao song um, and Mandalay song. There were these songs that they actually released them before the piece came out, and they were they were quite well known kind of pop songs. And then when the piece came up, everyone in the audience was really familiar with them. So um, each song almost, as I said before, with Kurt Biles' music, had a little sort of story within them, a little narrative within them. So in some ways, you step out of the action and you're telling this, this little story in the middle um, of the piece. Uh, and then the, the, the sort of music, the band, it's small but it's usually powerful. Um, C.B. Briggs, who's our musical director, is, um, is masterful at... Um, at this style and, and, and the singing is, you know, really extraordinary but it's not just about the beauty of sound, which I love. It is about um, the story that's being told. It is all about the words, this fantastic libretto. So um, I think you're going to come and hear something, a texture that we, you know, we don't hear that much on stage but I think we should hear more of and it feels, you know, classic um, as well as contemporary at the same time and just really visceral.
0: You've just described Kurt Viles uh, as somebody with uh, one foot in classical music, one foot in jazz. That seems a fairly apt description of of you as well, one foot in the world of opera, one foot in the world of cabaret, which would make uh, Happy End then perhaps the perfect vehicle
1: for your talents. It is, Look, and it's a really different role for me. It's not, you know, I have one song and it's not a big singing song. It's a, you know, it's more of a half-spoken song. I've loved getting to play this character. Um, and, you yeah, know, I've always said that cabaret is a genre that actually sort of sits between the cracks of the high arts. And so, you know, I think any you know, great cabaret act, you can't say definitely, oh, that's just jazz or that's just musical theatre or that's just dance. They're always somewhere in between, sitting in between the cracks. Um, and that's the place I like to be. So this piece is perfect for me.
0: Victorian Opera are presenting Kurt Weil, Bertolt Brecht, and Elizabeth Hauptmann's anti capitalist musical comedy Happy End in the Playhouse at Arts Centre Melbourne from the 23rd until the 26th of March. You can find out more at www.victorianopera.com.au. I've been chatting with Ali McGregor, who's performing in the work. Ali, thanks so much for chatting to us today.
1: Oh, thanks so much for taking the time, Richard. Triple <laughs> R.
0: Hamilton is a musical that, since its premiere in January 2015, has gone on to generate adulation, critical acclaim, an enormous fan base around the world. When I reviewed it in Sydney, I described it as effectively critic-proof, so uh, why send critics to it at all, I wonder? Uh, But joining me on the line is Jason Arrow, who plays the lead character, or the titular character, Alexander Hamilton, in Hamilton. Jason, thanks so much for joining us.
2: Thank you so much for having me.
0: So before we talk about your experiences of the role, what is it about Hamilton that has struck such a chord in audiences both in the U.S. and here in Australia and elsewhere? I can understand that chord Mm. resonating in the U.S. It's about their own history, which they're taught a lot in schools. It's been described as a, a musical about America then, uh, mm. represented by, by America now. But I, I did wonder why it still lands so well for Australians. What's your take?
2: Um, I think it has a lot to do with um, the way in which the story is told. So, I mean, obviously for us, the, um, the, whole, the historical side of it isn't necessarily something that we, um, we flock to. Um, and necessarily, I don't know if that's um, the reason why it was so popular in America, but um, I think it has a lot to do with... Um, how well the story's told, the music that's used, the style of uh, dance that's used. It, it, it's, quite, it's quite eclectic, and all, it, like how, how, how all the different elements, sort of, they just meld together. It's amazing.
0: It's certainly won over people who perhaps would not normally describe themselves as fans of musical mm. theatre, given that uh, it in, in brings in hip-hop and a, a variety of other art forms to tell the story
2: yeah i th- i think that might have something to do i mean we've had a very uh very diverse range of people come and see the show i mean that i've i've said this a few times but i've seen some performances uh Uh, back in Sydney where we had uh, people wearing high-vis, you know, like coming to the theatre and um, enjoying a show after, you know, maybe a shift or something. But, like, yeah, so we've we've definitely had a a range of young, old, um, every every single background I could possibly think of. Yeah, it's been amazing.
0: Now, speaking of a diverse audience, Hamilton is Mm. also famous for having a diverse cast. And when, again, when I saw the production in Sydney at a... uh, a, an industry preview in March last year mm. just the the kind of sense of joy that rose mm. in me and I think that flooded through the theater of seeing so many different faces on stage people who aren't Particularly well represented in Australian mm. theatre, musical theatre, and television as well. It's a very diverse cast. Uh, what does it feel like to be part of what is really a, a landmark piece of casting in Australian musical theatre?
2: Yeah, it, I, I mean, I reference the show when I when I think about this sometimes, but um, this is not a moment. It's 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 the movement. Um, which really meant a lot when the um, when the cast when the cast was first announced because it was at a really poignant moment um, in Australian sort of casting and how we were going about um, you know shifting uh, the landscape when it came to casting and diverse diversity um, and I think this landed at the exact right time um, when when the cast came out was massively celebrated um, about how it looked like. Um, the Australian industry as a whole, uh, because, I mean, we have a very diverse industry. um, It just wasn't necessarily being represented as much. And so when this cast landed, um, it was was touted, it was celebrated massively. It felt amazing.
0: Now, let's talk about you and getting cast in the show. You were born in South Africa, moved to WA with your family Mm. when you were about six, I think. And you've done some musical theatre before, but have From having read interviews with you, I know that when your agent called to tell you that you 'd got the role of Alexander Hamilton, he was like hmm. you'd better sit down for this one
2: yeah um, i mean that's exa- that was those were his exact words because um, i could I could tell something was something was different because he sounded very um uh, em- emotional, I, I guess be the best way to describe it. Um, and I was like, oh, what's, what's happened. I, th- I thought mm, maybe, you know, the show had been postponed or something because of COVID, which is a natural thought to have at that time. Um, cause we we're mid lockdown. Um, but yeah, he was just he had said, um, "They want you to play uh, Alexander Hamilton." And it was yeah, it was met with a lot of silence on my part, I'll be honest, and then um, a lot of profanity, so I won't repeat that. But uh, yeah, it was absolutely amazing. It wasn't something I expected uh, whatsoever.
0: It may not have been something you expected, but it was obviously something you hoped for, given that you put yourself forward for the show.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you always hope for the best, but um, I always find I don't try and um, I try and manage expectations um, because, I mean, we know how this industry is. It's very um, volatile. Things can change at any minute, especially these days. Um, so, yeah, I, I was sort of going, OK, look, being in, in any capacity would be absolutely amazing. And I'd be honored um, because of what the show is, what it represents and what it means and um, how amazing it is. So in any capacity, I would have been extremely happy. But to get you know, the lead character. That was that was not something that I had planned for, especially not uh not this this soon in my career.
0: For people who don't know who the, the lead character of Alexander Hamilton is, tell us a little about the man you were playing. He's one of the, the founding fathers of the USA, which hmm. uh, a face on a bank note for, for, for most Australians perhaps before the musical was made.
2: Yeah, the ten dollar founding father. Um he is – he's very ambitious, incredibly ambitious. Uh, one of the references that's used is um, Icarus uh, flying too close to the sun. Um, and I kind of liken him to a steamroller um, in the sense that he will literally go over anything, including his own family, um, to get what he needs to get done. Um which I mean, in the grand scheme of you know starting a country, I sort of get, but it does it does make him incredibly difficult uh, to to manage and play sometimes uh because obviously uh you need to find a point of uh love for your character when you're playing them and understanding um which at first was a little bit difficult i'll be honest, um but yeah, I found you know his wounds, I found um his early life was quite uh you know quite damaging uh, as a person uh, growing up without a family essentially and only having his work to rely on kind of made sense why he was like that as a person and why he had such um, a bad uh, emotional and relationship uh, kind of life uh, really did make sense once I got into that side of things.
0: For any actor taking on an already established role, you have a challenge. Mm. You have to uh, find the truth of the character for yourself so it fits you naturally rather Mm. than you wearing somebody else's impression of the character. For Mm. Hamilton, you have an even greater challenge. People know the cast recording. Many people will have signed up to Disney Plus just to watch the film production of Hamilton, which has the added challenge of the creator in the role.
2: (laughs) Yeah, the hurdle wasn't small. Um, uh, yeah, no, look, I, I, there was definitely a part of me at the very beginning uh, when I was starting to figure out, like, how am I going to navigate this? Uh, that was that, that was worried about um, how it would be received. Uh, but, I mean, that's just natural to have that kind of, um, you know, that sort of fear or worry. But I just, you know, knuckled down, knew, I did what I knew, which was find the point of the character that you can relate with or the point of the character that you, um, feel empathy for. Um, and I latched onto that and then just worked my way around it. Um, and obviously, you know, there's certain things that I will, um, you know, beg, borrow and steal from, um, other things that I've heard or like tones, uh, tonal shifts in the voice and things like that. Just so there's a bit of a point of familiarity. Cause I really, I do like, uh, you know, making myself a bit of a chameleon at times and, like, trying to go, OK, this bit I can make a little bit sound like Lynn because, you know, it sounds quite cool in the recording and I think people really like that part vocally, how it sounds, but I'll um, portray it in this way. Um, so there's a lot of managing that happens when there's been, um, you know, such a popular uh, rendition of the show that people know and love so well.
0: When I saw the production in Sydney, one of the things that really struck me that I really liked about your performance was mm. that you... Um, you've tapped into a sense of introspection in Alexander Hamilton. He's a man who, mm. when he's talking to people in the here and now, his mind is not necessarily fixed on the here and now. He's looking forward. Mm. He's focused on the future, what he will do next, what he will change next.
2: Mm. Yeah. Um, that's, I mean, that's a very essential part of who he is. You know, he's not... What what's happening now is already done, essentially, in his mind. You know, that work has already been finished, so what do we do after that? Um, and that kind of uh, naturally works with how the show's written anyway. I mean, it's so fast, you kind of do have to think a little bit ahead anyway. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's 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 marrying those two things together and understanding that, oh, we can use that, that introspection or that moment where I'm not really uh, doing much vocally on stage, where I'm just sort of in a scene um, thinking about, okay, where does Hamilton go next? What's the next step for me um, as a as a person as Hamilton? Um, yeah, and that introspection I think really helps sort of uh, focus him um, a bit. So I'm quite glad you picked that up.
0: Now, as you just said, it it is a very fast paced show. It flows mm. dramatically, and the and. The stage design and direction and choreography ensure that scenes flow beautifully from one to another. We've mentioned the fact that uh, it's it blends hip hop and there some show tune references. A battle uh, between senators, for example, is depicted Mm. as a rap battle. So Mm. it's very fast, uh, and it must be emotionally and vocally demanding on all of the cast. You've done a full Sydney season. You've now come to Melbourne and just had the the first premiere just the other day. How do you stay match fit? How do you stay focused uh, to, to play this role for an extended period of time, particularly when you've had the challenges of COVID to navigate?
2: Yeah, um... Yeah, mostly for me personally, uh, it's kind of just taking it day by day, uh, scene by scene, line by line. Um, if I think too far ahead, or um, I get, or, I, or you know, I, I blow out too soon in the show, or like you know, I've gone too um, too hot too soon, um, I need to find ways to you know bring that back. And it's really hard if I start the show too hot, um, and by that I mean you know too like. Um, vocally present or um, or vocally forward, it can really create quite a problem for the rest of the show. So I really have to think about how I start the first few lines of that show um, and understand that, you know, we can build this thing from the ground up. Um, Because the show's so fast-paced and because the music's so um, intense, um, there is a feeling of wanting to attack it um, immediately from the get-go. And this was something I learned early days in Sydney. Um, that, that does not have to be the case. Um, you can, uh, morph into it a bit more and I find my shots a good, uh, show to do that, uh, a good uh, song to do that as opposed to, um, what I do outside of the show. Um, that's more just listening to my body and understanding that, um, you know, days change, weather changes. Um, you know, we feel different things on different days. Meditation can help um, when I'm not feeling exactly focused on those particular days. Um, and a lot of the time, just relying on the cast around you because it's such an ensemble based story where it's um, short, you know, Hamilton's the, the titular character, the lead character, um, but there are, and there's an ensemble of leads and there's an ensemble of ensemble. Like, there's, there's a massive show um, and everyone's carrying their weight. So, that also helps too.
0: If you've just tuned in, I'm chatting with Jason Arrow, who uh, plays the title role in Hamilton, which had its first preview in Melbourne just the other night on Tuesday night to, I understand, a rapturous response from uh, a very loyal audience who'd been waiting quite a while to see it.
2: Yeah, they had been waiting a very, very long time. We are so happy to actually get... um, I mean, I'm not sure if you saw on on, uh, social media... um a little uh, preview we gave of the preview audience. Uh, that was so amazing. They were so, so um, supportive um, and they were hanging on every word. So it was so beautiful to um, um, get to experience that with them um, and be there in the room and, you know, give them a the show that they've been waiting for for so long.
0: Is an audience like that more fun, more enjoyable, more energetic to perform to than a more traditional opening night audience, which is very heavily papered with industry and media who may give you Mm. a very different response?
2: Yeah, it is, absolutely. I mean... You can tell because people will give uh, you know, applause when characters come out, like George Washington, Alexander Hamilton, uh, Burr. Every, every time a, ca- a character has their um, reveal moment in the show, which is also done very well in the show, um, you know, people will applaud that, which is not necessarily something that happens all the time. Um, so you can tell that everyone has these personal connections with these characters um, when that happens. Um, and so performing to that, you're like, you want to – you want to lean into that character even more for the, um, for these people because they enjoy the experience so much. Um, so, yeah, it is absolutely fun. Cheering and whooping and hollering is absolutely encouraged in this show. Yeah.
0: Now one of the things that's also kind of remarkable about the show is uh, there are, what, ten named roles in the cast and then kind of mm. uh, the, the larger cast that have been assembled. All of those the performers in those ten named roles have come with the show to Melbourne. There's no kind of swapping out of, mm. of major players and only I think only, what, three or four new cast members joining the ensemble as a whole with the the transfer from Sydney to Melbourne.
2: Yeah, we um, unfortunately, there were two two ensemble members that didn't um, come with us uh, on stage ensemble. And then we uh, gained some more um, swings and standbys, um, obviously, with the nature that things are. It's always good to have backup. Um, so, yeah, we are very lucky. We've managed to retain uh, the vast majority of the cast as a whole um, in terms of the lead ensemble, as I sort of coined it at the moment. um yeah, we've retained everyone. Yeah, they've uh, they've all wanted to come along, uh, which is huge for such a massive uh, lead cohort. Um, I find personally, so yeah, it's great. This the show still has that, um, you know, that, that vibe and the, and the fact that we've you know done it for already for so long. Uh, we're really fitting into it naturally in rehearsals, um, you know, like tech rehearsals and things like that. Um, so going out there and doing a preview, it's like okay, different space, new space, new audience, new city. Let's go. What can we do? It really feels like that at the moment.
0: I have to confess that if you'd said, I don't know, 10 years ago, that a musical about one of the founding fathers of, America, of the <laughs> uh, American democracy that incorporates war and revolution and a lot of politics, if you'd said, this is going to be a groundbreaking show, I'd be like, who <laughs> really wants to see a show like that? It doesn't sound fun. But it's been, it, the response is truly remarkable. Um, What do you think the response would be to Alexander Hamilton himself if you were to meet him today, if he could travel in time? Do you think he would like the character you're playing?
2: Um, (laughs) I said this before, and I don't know. I don't think so. Um, And mainly I think the reason for that is because you don't really see him in a natural setting in the show. It's always high stakes. Every time you see Hamilton, it's in a high stakes, high pressure situation where he's trying to get things done you know, to start a a country or he's battling people both on or off the field, you know, battlefield. And I feel like that's not really a true depiction of a person as a whole. I think there's one scene where you see him in a relaxed state, and that's at the end of um, Helpless when he comes back on with the boys and they sing, um, you know, story of tonight to him as a reprise. That's the most time. That's the one time I think that you see him have fun. Um, So I don't know. Because I don't really have this um, idea of him as a full, um, well, I mean, I do in my head, obviously, as an actor, but um, as a person, I haven't seen him in a natural setting. Um, So that would be interesting, I think, to find out. That would be the one thing I'd want to see.
0: Hamilton is showing now at Her Majesty's Theatre at 219 Exhibition Street in Melbourne. Uh, It previewed uh, on Tuesday night for the first time and officially opens next week and will run for a while, Uh, let's just say. There's no uh, set date that I've been provided with in terms of when you should book by, so I think safely say you've got several months but it is the kind of show that loyal fans will be booking for and returning to. If you want to see it, jump online. Tickets are available only through ticketech.com.au and for more information about the production itself, go to hamiltonmusical.com.au Jason Arrow, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Thanks so much.